Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. That book's not too hard to find, right? Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. I, John, that is John the Apostle, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. The tribulation there meaning current troubles that the church was currently in. Not the tribulation, but companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience or perseverance of Jesus Christ. And I was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Verse 12, and then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if indeed, as if refined, excuse me, in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And write, verse 19, note this, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Father, we cannot pray enough, Lord, and when we um, crack open the word, we want to make sure that we're just rightly dividing it, that we're not just reading a book, but we're meeting with the living God, with the word. And so we pray that you'd meet with us, speak to us. Your word would be clear this morning. I pray that you would stir the hearts of your people and uh, just admonish us encourage us, rebuke us, whatever needs to be done in our hearts. We pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives this morning. And so, Lord, help us. We pray your spirit would be our tutor and our teacher, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, according to an online uh, poll done in 2015, 16% of Americans believe the world is heading towards a judgment day. 16% of Americans. Now, 1% of those who are polled believe that that will happen by way of alien invasion. 
2% zombie. This is a real poll. So <laughs> apparently uh, we, we know something's up, but we're a little confused on uh, how or when as far as the end of the world is concerned. And I'm sure um, most of us would agree that we're living in turbulent times. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, anybody who turns on the news or lives in this world, if your head's not in the sand, we're living in turbulent times. And uh, the difference, however, is that you and I, as believers, we don't have to be worried and or concerned about the end of the world. Why is that? Because through Bible prophecy, God has given us a glimpse into his plan for the future. And that's a plan that involves all people, saved and unsaved alike, um, uh, angels and demons, uh, the natural world and the spiritual world. And we can see that God is setting the stage, lining up the pieces, getting things ready for the next act, the next phase in world history. And this is an exciting time to be a Christian. This is an exciting time to be alive. And if you have the right perspective, and that's the key, if you have the right perspective, if you have a biblical perspective perspective on the times that we're living in, it's a very exciting time to be living. And so this morning, I want to just give you a glimpse into God's plan for the future, his prophetic plan. I want to just give you a basic outline of the things to come. And so... Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're unsettled about the times that we're living in, or you're unsettled or you're unsure about God's plan for the future. I mean, how is the world going to end? Is the world going to end? Is it going to be due to, you know, uh, emissions going up, or is it going to be Jesus coming back? Maybe you're unsure about God's plan. And my hope this morning, guys, is that number one, you'd be encouraged that God does have a plan. Amen. He has a plan, and he's on the throne, and things are going down, so to speak, exactly how he said they would. It's been said things aren't falling apart, they're what? They're falling into place, exactly how he said it would. So be encouraged by that. Secondly, I am praying and hoping that as we are reminded of the times that we're living in, that God would stir up your heart, that you would be excited, that you would uh, just be renewed in your passion for Jesus, that you would have a renewed uh, passion to live your life in expectation of his coming and with a sense of urgency to be about the great commission, the things that he's called us to, because the Lord is coming. He's coming. He came the first time, fulfilled prophecy, and prophecy tells us that he's coming a second time. And God has a perfect plan. And so we're going to use the book of Revelation as an outline and uh, look at seven major events on God's prophetic timeline. Are you with me? You guys awake? All right, let's do it. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the key, guys, to understanding this book. So a lot of people are confused by this book. And there are mysterious things in here and pictures and types, and but I don't believe that God gave us this book to confuse us. He gave us this book to bless us. He gave us this book to bless us. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, John is given an outline to the book. And so let's read that one more time. Chapter 1, verse 19. 
Jesus says to John, the apostle, write the things, number one, which you have seen, and the things which are, and thirdly, the things which will take place after this. So number one, John, I want you to write the things which you have seen. Well, what did he just see? Chapter one. We just saw this glimpse, this picture of who? The risen Lord Jesus, right? So write the things which you have seen. Chapter one, Jesus in all of his glory. And then secondly, write the things which are presently in John's day, in John's time. What is that? Chapters two and three, right? The seven letters to the seven churches. That's the, those are the things which are. And the, these are seven letters from Jesus. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing to check your mailbox and get that letter from Jesus occasionally, right? We want to read these letters. These are letters that were written specifically to these uh, real churches in history, but they're letters that were written to all churches throughout history. Why, why do I say that? Because Jesus says throughout these seven letters, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, right? Are you with me on that? So the things which are. Now, if you're taking Revelation, uh, the, the book in a chronological order, which I think it was intended uh, to be for us, chapters two and three can also speak of church history in its entirety. Because there are a few churches in there where Jesus says, hold fast until I come. Assuming that these churches will be functioning at the Lord's return. And we know that these specific churches actually are no longer functioning. And so the idea there is that this is a picture of church history in its uh, totality. Are you with me on that? So write the things which you have seen, the risen Lord Jesus. Write the things which are the churches, the church age, we would say. And then thirdly, um, write the things which will take place after these things. And this brings us to our first point on our outline, and that is, number one, if you're a note taker, the church age, the church age. And this, as you know, it's not a one-time event or a coming future event, but the time period that you and I are currently living in, right? For the last 2,000 plus years of world history, we would call the church age. And uh, keep in mind, this is interesting, the church age was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets. God never gave them the insight on this time period. They had the insight on the Lord's, uh, on the Messiah's first coming, second coming, but they weren't real clear on the timing there or even if there was a distinction. But there's a valley, if you can imagine that, with the church age in between. They saw the two mountaintops, the, the coming of the Lord and then the great tribulation and all those things that preceded the church age. Are you with me? But they didn't see this time in history. They didn't foresee. It was a mystery. It was a mystery. Later revealed in the New Testament that God would, and here's the mystery, that God would make one body from both Jew and Gentile. One body. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells us, well, how? By sending his son. By sending his son to die in our place, to suffer and die on the cross, to take our sins upon himself, so that any 
and all, Jew, Gentile, male, female, uh, slave, free, fill in the blank, any and all people who believe on the Lord Jesus will be saved and enter into this universal body called the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. Not the Latter-day Saints, but the real church of Jesus Christ, those who believe on the real Jesus who came and died in our place. And so the church, as you guys know, it's a body, it's not a building, right? And we say today, hey, I'm going to church. And, and we don't want to, like, correct people every time we hear that. But technically, we're, we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church locally and universally. This is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so, again, not a building. It's a body, a body of believers and uh, if you're here this morning, your faith is in Jesus Christ, what he's done for you on your behalf, that he died and rose again. The Bible says that you're a member of this body. You're a member of the church. You've been redeemed, adopted, sealed by the Holy Spirit, set apart. You're being set apart, and you're being prepared for where? For heaven. We're heaven-bound. I used to have a sticker on my skateboard that just said HB. People, said, people thought it said Huntington Beach. But at the bottom it said heaven bound. Heaven bound. It was one of those oval white stickers with the black letters, like a, it was location, European, um, I don't know. Holger, you got one of those for Germany on your? On the Volkswagen? Yep. Heaven bound, HB. And if you're a member of the body of Christ, you are heaven bound. And I'm so thankful I'm so thankful. Aren't you thankful this morning? That's why we sing. That's why we fellowship. And that's why we'll spend all of our lives and all of eternity praising God for our redemption, for his blood that was shed on our behalf, that he would die for wretched sinners like you and like me. And we rejoice, and we hopefully are living our lives in gratitude and thankfulness for what he's done on our behalf. We're heaven bound, but listen, we're not on a cruise ship bound for heaven, are we? The Lord Jesus has commissioned us that while we are here, while we are waiting for our inheritance in heaven, he's given us a mission, and that is the great commission, that we're to make disciples of all the nations. And whatever your place is in the body of Christ, God has gifted you to minister to one another, but the big picture, guys, don't lose sight of this, the big picture is to make disciples. Some of us are catching them. Some of us are cleaning them. Some of us are teaching them. Some of the, us are uh, caring for them or providing. And we all have a place. We all have a part in this great commission. God causes the increase, but we get to water and, uh, and nurture and be part of the harvest at times. It's a work of God, but he's called us to be partakers in that work. And so, listen, now is the time. Now is the time to be living out the Great Commission because this church age that we're speaking about, it, it's, it's an open window for all men to be saved who hear and respond to the gospel. But listen, there's an end point to this time. There's a, there's a, there's a beginning and an end. It was birthed on the day of Pentecost, and it will end, it will come to an end at an event known as what? The rapture of the church. That's right. Some of you guys are like, are we pre-trib here? 
I'm not, I, I don't want to be wrong. No, the rapture of the church. We are pre-trib. We believe that's what the Bible clearly teaches. If you differ on that, you can apologize on the way up. That's fine. But the pre-trib rapture, the rapture of the church, our second point on the outline. Are you guys awake? Okay, that was a joke. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And this is, again, after the letters to the churches, chapter 4, verse 1. And after these things, after what things? After chapter 2 and 3. After these things, after the church age, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Note that. It was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. And I will show you the things which must take place after this. And immediately, verse 2, I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And so after these things, after chapters 2 and 3, after the church age, from this point on, guys, listen, the church is not seen or mentioned, at least not on earth, until the second coming. In chapter 19. As a matter of fact, the word church, ecclesia, is used 20 times in the book of Revelation. 19 of those times are used in the first three chapters. And the 20th usage is in the 23rd chapter when Jesus reminds John to give this book to the churches. But we don't see the churches or that word ecclesia even mentioned from chapters 6 through 19. What is that? That's the tribulation. So the church is out of here. We're, we're taken up. We're caught up, just as the Lord promised, didn't he? John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. First mention of the rapture. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Paul expounds on this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read that to you. You can turn there if you're, if you're uh, quick, if you're a Bible nerd and you have some little tabs on your Bible. I encourage that, by the way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 13. Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This came directly from the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And there's that word, harpazo in the Greek. It means to be snatched away. It's where we get the word rapture in the Latin uh, uh, translation of the New Testament. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, verse 18, comfort one another with these words. On that day, any day, Remember, the rapture of the church is an imminent event. What does that mean? It could happen at any time, on any day. And uh, Paul here even says, hey, 
we who are alive, he was fully expecting that the Lord would come for him in his time, his generation. And that could happen in any generation. On that day, when we hear the trumpet of God and the voice or the shout from heaven, it says the dead in Christ will rise first. Believers who have died in Christ, remember these are church members uh, who have died before us and are presently with the Lord, they're going to receive a resurrected body at this point. And then those who are alive at the Lord's coming will be caught up, raptured, snatched away, taken up to meet the Lord in the clouds. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again expounding on this event, he says this is going to happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be what? Changed, right? Changed. This old sinful nature is going to be done away with. Woo, are you looking forward to that? Man, we can celebrate uh, on, on that fact. We will be glorified. Uh, whether you're alive and remain or, or you've passed, we're going to get a new suit ready for heaven. You, you don't go to space in uh, dickies and a white tee. You, you need to be suited for space. And we're not going to go to heaven in our own old sinful uh, bodies. We're going to get a new body suited for heaven, suited for the Lord's presence. I'm looking forward to that. Hallelujah. Yeah, praise the Lord. So listen, two things take place in heaven between the rapture and the second coming. As the church is caught up, there's two things that take place between Jesus and the church, and that is the Bema seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember, we are the bride of Christ, and he calls us home, and there's going to be some uh, refining, so to speak, a judgment that takes place, and then a marriage supper of the Lamb. And I wish we had more time to cover these things, but you can check out 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And both of these uh, chapters speak on that day when, when every believer will stand before Jesus and give an account for his or her life. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. Now listen, we're going to be judged by Jesus, but not for our sins. They, our sins have been removed by the cross, by his work on the cross. But we're going to be judged for our works. Were we faithful in this life? Did we persevere in this life? Did we suffer for Christ's name in this life? And there will be crowns given to uh, his people. And it's a sobering thought. And if there's going to be any regrets in heaven, it'll be here at the Bema Seat. I don't think that re- re- those regrets are going to uh, last, but th- there will be regrets because people waste time as Christians. And my encouragement, my exhortation to you this morning is, if that's you, let's not waste any more time. Let's redeem the time. Amen? Let's be about the Lord's business because there will be a day when we give an account. And at that point, you know, a lot of people say, I don't, I don't care, I just want to make it. <laughs> On that day, you will care. You will care. And so be faithful where God has you. Be faithful where God has called you. And be faithful with what he's given you. If you're a mom or a dad and God's called you to raise those kids in the Lord, do that. Be faithful. If you're in a cubicle, do that. Be faithful. 
Be, be a light, be a witness in your work world. Wherever God's called you to serve, uh, be faithful. Now, it, it's a sobering event, but I just want to encourage you with this one, one quick note. And it makes me chuckle because it, it is encouraging. Listen, if Samson is in the hall of faith, you can be sure Jesus will find something to reward you in your life. <laughs> it's all by his grace. Amen? Anything good in us is by his grace, and he's going to find a treasures that he can reward on that day. The wood, the hay, the stubble, it'll burn up, but all that's done for him will last and will be rewarded for that. If Samson's in the hall of faith, man, there's going to be something there that God's going to reward you for. And that's encouraging to me because Samson, he was a knucklehead. He was a knucklehead. But God used him, and he's in the hall of faith. And so the rapture of the church, uh, Titus chapter 3, this is our blessed hope when the Lord comes for his bride. And uh, there's a second reason, though, guys, that the Lord comes back for us. Not only is he going to take us up, he's going to take us out. He's going to take us out. And that brings us to the next major event on our timeline, and that is the tribulation, the tribulation period here on earth. Revelation chapters 6 through 19. And you can go ahead and read that on your own. But um, at some point, listen, at some point after the rapture, after the church has been removed, whether it's days or months or years, we're, we're not sure. The rapture is not what kicks off the tribulation. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that when the prince, that is the Antichrist, this coming world leader, steps out on the scene and he makes a covenant between Israel, a peace treaty between himself and Israel, this begins the tribulation period. Are you with me on that? It's not the rapture. It's the peace treaty with Israel between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel beginning the tribulation period on earth. Now, with the church taken out of the way, and the world says, 2 Thessalonians, right? The world says peace and safety. Oh, man, things are, things are finally going the way we are hoping they would go. You know, world peace, swirled peas. Or is it swirled? No, it's world. Are you familiar with that bumper sticker? Yeah. Is it world or swirled? World peace. There you go. World peace on your mashed potatoes. It's what the world finally wants. But when the world says peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them like a woman in labor pains. And uh, sudden, out of nowhere, and unstoppable, God's wrath will then be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And again, we don't have time to look at all the details here, but chapters 6 through 19 give us the details of the tribulation. God's judgment basically comes in three sets of sevens, right? You're familiar with this? You have uh, seven seal judgments, followed by seven trumpet judgments, followed by seven bowl judgments. And these progressively intensify over the seven-year period. The first three and a half period is called the tribulation. The second three and a half period is called the great tribulation. And people say, you know, it's, it's crazy. People say, well, hey, I'll believe it when I see it. When I see these uh, giant hail balls coming out of heaven, and when I see fire coming down from heaven, and when I see God's judgment, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I've got my bomb shelter, got my Gatorade, 
I got my uh, Luna bars, my Cliff bars, and we're just gonna we're just gonna man up and go through it. And people who say that they have no clue, they have no clue. It's not that simple. Jesus said in Matthew 24, speaking of the great tribulation, he said, "For then, 24 verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation." such as has never happened from the beginning of the world until now and will never happen again. Yes, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would survive. No human being would survive if God didn't say, hey, seven years is enough. So you combine every world war and every natural disaster in history, uh, Satan working on hyperdrive, all the restraints of man's wickedness cast off, plus the wrath of God from heaven. It'll be seven years, basically, of hell on earth. No bomb shelter or cliff bars is going to see you through that. The only way is to trust in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot that takes place during this time that we can't get into, the Antichrist, the the, the mark of the beast and, and, and all of these things, the false prophet. But let me just answer a couple of questions here. Uh, why would a loving God judge the world to this degree? That's a common question. What, what is God's purpose in all of this? And if I could just borrow from uh, John Corson's commentary, he, three, three reasons, if you're a note taker. God's purpose of the great tribulation is to wake up a nation The Great Tribulation, guys, is referred to in the Old Testament as the time of Jacob's trouble. And you need need to catch this. One of God's primary purposes is to deal with the nation of Israel who has rejected the Messiah. God has a plan and a purpose for Israel. Amen? He's not done with Israel. Read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. God has a plan, and he's going to deal with the nation of Israel. When you remove Israel from the picture, things get fuzzy. This whole book starts to get fuzzy because you start to replace Israel with the church, and you just it's, it's not clear. And we need to understand that the prime, one of the primary purposes of the tribulation is to God to deal with the nation of Israel, and he will deal with them. And Israel, Paul says, all Israel, those who the remnant, will be saved during the Great Tribulation. They will put their faith and trust in their Messiah. They will realize the Antichrist is not our Messiah, and eventually Jesus reveals himself, and they turn and they trust. Secondly, not only is it to wake up a nation, it's to shake up the heathen. (laughs) God's going to get the world's attention, and basically what he's doing is he's forcing people to make a choice. It's black or white. It's taking the mark of the beast or trusting in Christ Jesus. And God's going to get the attention of the world. And thirdly, it's to clean up creation. What do you mean? It's it's to make ready for the coming kingdom. It's to make ready for the coming kingdom. So to wake up a nation, to shake up the heathen, and to clean up creation. And in all of this, we need to be reminded, we need to remember that God's judgments, his decisions, are true and righteous. Everything God does is with a motive of righteousness, love, mercy, grace, truth. And among all the calamity and judgments that will take place on this earth, God will continue to call people 
during the tribulation to salvation. It's going to be a time of miraculous events. Angels will be declaring the gospel. People will, will be, uh, their eyes will be open. They're going to know that God is behind these judgments, and they're going to have to make a choice. And uh, behind it all, guys, God is, is his desire, Second Peter 3, is that, that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's God's heart in the great tribulation. And so, hey, the church age, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, wow, we got 12 more to go. Let's, do you guys want to take a little stretch? We're good? All right, cool. Well, at the end of the tribulation, this great battle begins to take place. At the end of these, this seven-year period, it's called the Battle of Armageddon. And it's during this battle actually right before the battle, a battle never actually takes place, but, but at this battle uh, that we come to the fourth major event in our timeline, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so check out Revelation chapter 19. You guys want to turn there? Revelation 19, starting in verse 11 now. John says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed uh, with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is that? That's Jesus. Verse 14, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast verse 19, that is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against Jesus, who sat on the horse and against his army. And so, seven-year period, the tribulation, at the very end, this battle starts to take shape. It's the battle of Armageddon, and right in the middle of this battle, or actually at the beginning of this battle, boom, (laughs) The heavens are opened and Jesus himself touches down on the earth, riding a white horse. People wonder, are there going to be animals in heaven? Is my little scruffy going to be in heaven with me? I don't know about scruffy, but there will be horses in heaven. (laughs) And Jesus will be on a white horse. And interesting, did you notice in verse 4, he comes with who? The armies in heaven. Who is that? I believe that's the church along with the angels, as Jesus said in Matthew 25. The angels in heaven dressed in fine linen. Jude 14 tells us, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. 
we're going to come with him. Some of us, I'm sure, will be riding those horses backwards. I've never been on a horse in my life. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> it's that way. Uh, and, and people wonder, well, what are we going to be doing? Well, we're, we're basically just, we're on the team. Jesus is our MVP. He's going to be making all the throws and all the catches. We're just going to be like, yeah, get him, right? Get him. Uh, but we'll be with him. And the Lord comes right into this great battle and uh, that the Antichrist has initiated the beast uh, actually possessed by Satan and the kings of the earth. Somehow he convinces them, let's go up against Jesus. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to work out for them. Actually, we are sure. But, uh, you know, there was a 1970s Broadway music, musical. It was called Your Arms Too Short to Box with God. Anybody remember that? Your arms too short to box with God. I'm not sure what they were thinking, but they've obviously been deceived. And the Lord Jesus comes, and a few things immediately take place at the second coming. And uh, you can read about that, verses 19 through chapter 20, verse 3. It says that the armies are defeated, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Secondly, Satan himself is locked up for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. And then thirdly, there's a judgment that takes place. John says, I saw thrones. And a judgment takes place. And uh, look at verse 4, chapter 20. Verse 4, uh, John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I believe this is what some would refer to as the judgment of the nations. In Matthew 25, Jesus told us, When the Son of Man comes in his glory... All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So this judgment, guys, is the judgment of survivors of the great tribulation, both believers and unbelievers. And at this point, after this judgment, the, the, the sheep are divided from the goats, believers and unbelievers. And at this point, if you're not asleep, at this point, all believers, those who have come through the tribulation, who put their trust in Christ, who did not take the mark of the beast, both Gentile and this remnant of Israel, along with glorified saints, those who were raptured, and Daniel chapter 12 tells us that at this point, Old Testament saints will be resurrected, and all believers will enter into God's kingdom on earth. Woo! God's kingdom on earth. And that's our uh, fifth point. We just have a few more to go, guys. Hang with me. The millennial kingdom, number five on our timeline. Check out Revelation chapter four, uh, starting uh, halfway through chapter four. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, that is, those who died during the tribulation, who came to Christ, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, that is unbelievers, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And so... All believers, only believers, both in their human bodies, 
who came through the tribulation and those who are now in their resurrected glorified bodies are going to be intermingled, so to speak, in the millennial kingdom. It's amazing. And this is what creation has been longing for, hoping for since the fall. Romans chapter 8, the millennial kingdom is a precursor to eternity. And again, time doesn't permit that, that we can get all the details here, but a quick survey of the Old Testament and the New Testament tells us that a, a few things about the millennial kingdom. Satan is bound for a thousand years. He's no longer able to tempt mankind. Creation is restored. The curse, listen, the curse will be partially lifted. What do I mean by that? There will be no more sickness or birth uh, deformity. There won't be any of that, but there will be death. But people, because there won't be sickness and will be in this perfect environment, people are going to live longer, but there still will be death to those who are in their natural bodies. Does that make sense? Who came into the kingdom in their natural bodies. And as they repopulate the earth, their children are going to age and people will die. There's a thousand year period. People are going to live longer, but there will still be death. So the curse will be partially lifted. God's covenants with Israel will be fulfilled, right? They're going to gain the land that God intended for them, all of it. That would include part of Saudi Arabia. All of that will be divided among the 12 tribes. The new covenant will be fulfilled in totality. Right now, as the church, guys, we, we're, we benefit from the new covenant, right? But partially. And this is the day when all of Israel will be saved. And the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. It's going to be this great spiritual um, environment in, in, the, in the kingdom. And so the covenants of Israel will be fulfilled. And listen, lastly, most importantly, King Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem on the throne of David. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that David himself, in his resurrected state, will, will uh, be part of the the ruling party there or leadership under Jesus. The apostles will be doing the same thing. And you and I will be serving in the millennial kingdom. How? To what degree? As kings and priests, Jesus told us in Revelation. And so depending, listen, again, depending on your faithfulness here in this life, you're going to be commissioned in the kingdom. And as you know, Pastor Chuck Smith always used to say, I, I got dibs on Hawaii, <laughs> right? And wherever God calls you, if that's Hawaii or, or uh, Bakersfield, Fresno, you know, you're going to be serving the Lord. And, and really what we're going to be doing is upholding righteousness and justice and holiness. You know, people, listen, the earth will be repopulated and people's children will need to be born again. The difference is they can go to Jerusalem and physically see King Jesus, and they're going to benefit from his leadership on the earth, yet they still need to put their trust in Christ. And we see that um, at the end of the tribulation, which we'll, we'll touch on in a minute. But guys, th this is the fulfillment of those world peace bumper stickers, right? This is when there will be peace on earth. Because Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. The corrupt economic system that we are currently living in, the uh, false religious systems in the world, they will all be abolished, and only truth will reign in God's 
kingdom. The earth's going to be restored and made right as it was before the fall. Amazing. And people will say, well, why even bother with all that? Why not just get straight to heaven? Because God's a redeemer. He's a redeemer. And this world has fallen. And he's going to uh, redeem it. He's going to redeem the earth. And for a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, in Israel. But the millennial kingdom is temporary. Hang with me. We're almost done. It's only a thousand years. And at the end of this thousand years, the Bible tells us here in Revelation chapter 20 that Satan is released from the pit and he goes up and he tempts the nations. He stirs up the hearts of the people who are not in their resurrected, glorified state. And there's going to be this last-minute rebellion. And again, like, how in the world? Why would people ever want to rebel in this perfect condition on earth? The reason is, is because man is still the same. Those who are in their human bodies are going to have a sinful nature. And though they won't be able to carry out their sin in the kingdom, they'll be holding the grudge. It'll be building up. And Satan is released to tempt them to basically give them one last choice. And they make a choice to follow Satan. They go and encamp. The, uh, they surround the encampment of the saints, it says, which is probably Jerusalem. And it says that God smokes them. There's just this immediate judgment. And, and that brings us to the sixth major event on God's timeline. And that is the great white throne judgment. And um, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Let's read that. And this is... Uh, this is important stuff. The great white throne judgment. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. No, no place to hide is the idea. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great. This is that, that, that second resurrection that was just mentioned before the millennial kingdom. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And guys, this is probably the most sobering event in all of history, in all of eternity. It's the great white throne judgment. All people who died apart from Christ Jesus, apart from faith in Christ Jesus, willfully rejecting God's means of salvation. All these people throughout history will be judged at the great white throne judgment. And people ask, well, what about people who never heard the good news? Remember, God's judgments are true and righteous. Amen? And listen, God is going to judge people based on what they did know and what they did with what they knew. In other words, somebody who never heard the gospel but looked up and realized and recognized that there is a God, they'll be judged based on what they did with that knowledge. And God is a fair, 
fair, just judge. And uh, there will be no lawyers, no DNA evidence needed. People are going to stand before Jesus naked in all of their sin. The books are opened, uh, possibly to just a recording of their deeds or levels of punishment. We're not sure. There's an argument. You can make an argument, a case for that. But I believe these books are open so that people will understand, hey, this judgment is fair and just. And anyone's name not written in the book of life, that is all those who stand before the great white throne judgment, will be separated from God for all eternity. Again, guys, the most sobering event or moment in history in all eternity. And this is the reason. This is the reason we ought to be sharing the good news and loving people and praying for our loved ones because they're going to stand if they don't repent. They're going to stand before Jesus. And at this point, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. There's no purgatory. There's no second chances. This is it. And people make their decision here in this life. It's appointed for men to die once. And then comes what? Judgment. Judgment. And so we need to take these things seriously. We need to take these things seriously. It ought to motivate us to be about God's business and about that great commission. So right now, we're living in a period of time known as what? You guys are cheating. (laughs) The church age. We're waiting for an event known as the rapture, the blessed hope, the Lord's imminent return, the coming for his bride, followed by the great tribulation or the tribulation, a seven-year period of God's judgment on earth. At the end of that will be the second coming, followed by a thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom. And then at the end of that uh, kingdom will be the great white throne judgment. And that leads us to number seven, our last point. And thank you guys for your patience. And uh, uh, chapters 21 and 22, a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Now, the word heaven speaks of the sky and the atmosphere, not the throne of God. But a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. Check out chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Peter tells us that that'll probably take place uh, by fire. And also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, there, uh, no, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. All things made new. In other words, we all lived happily ever after. Guys, this is heaven. This is heaven. A new creation, new heaven, new earth, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more student loan bills, <laughs> no more high gas prices, no more impeachment trials, no, just none of that drama that we deal with here on earth. All things will be made new. 
And we'll be able to listen. We'll be able to look on the Father's face. He's going to tabernacle among men. Isn't that awesome? We'll be able to look on the Father's face and we'll worship and fellowship and serve him for all eternity. Maranatha. Amen. Maranatha, the Lord Jesus, come quickly. And just a glimpse into God's plan for the future. And I believe if you just take the Bible at face value and apply a literal translation to prophecy, it, it, it's, a little, it's, it's at least a little more easy to understand what God has prepared for us and those who love him. And listen, Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. But we can know, we are to know the times and the seasons in which we're living. Now, look in your bulletin, if you have a bulletin, Romans chapter 13, you're wondering, man, he took a quite, a bit, quite a bit of a detour here. Romans chapter 13, it's in your, um, your bulletin there. Paul says, knowing the time, that it is high time, that it is time, it's time to awake from our sleep. And he goes on to say, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not convinced that we're living in the last days, I'm sure you're convinced that you're not getting any younger. <laughs> right? You're, we're not getting any younger. Time does fly, as Pablo shared earlier. Time flies, and our salvation is nearer today than it was yesterday. The Lord is coming. The Lord's coming, and whether we wake or sleep, listen, let's be about his business. Let's redeem the time. Let's be faithful where he's called us. And uh, when we see these things, and we are seeing these things, look up. Live our lives in expectation with a sense of urgency. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, and he's coming for you. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this.